Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Edmund White might just be the most honored writer of whom you have not heard. We'll do what we can to correct that in this program. Dr. Will Brantley, a professor of English, along with Nancy McGuire Roche, has compiled and edited Conversations with Edmund White, a collection of interviews with the author of A Boy's Own Story, The Beautiful Room is Empty, The Farewell Symphony, among other books, stretches from 1982 to 2016, the year Brantley and Roche interviewed White themselves. We'll find out what makes Edmund White so important after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Results from the most recent Tennessee Consumer Outlook survey indicate consumers' view on the economy has improved significantly. This according to the Office of Consumer Research in MTSU's Jones College of Business. The Tennessee Consumer Outlook Index rose to 214 from 167 in June. Mid-state consumers continue to have the most positive outlook among the state's three divisions, above East and West Tennessee, respectively. Dr. Tim Graff, marketing professor and director of the Office of Consumer Research, noted, however, that expectations for the future of the economy dipped because, quote, recent volatility in the stock market and media reports of trade wars and a coming recession have fueled a growing sense of uncertainty and instability among some consumers. And a trailblazing former state lawmaker with a passion for education is bringing her vast political experience and academic background to MTSU as a distinguished visiting professor in political science. Former State Representative Beth Harwell, the state's first female speaker of the House of Representatives, was formally introduced in her new academic role September 24th by MTSU President Sidney McPhee. Harwell served as the Republican representative of Tennessee's 56th district in Metro Nashville, Davidson County, from 1988 to January of this year and was elected speaker in 2011, serving that role until she departed the legislature. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome, Will. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. It's after, great to be back. After all this cataclysmic stuff going on. <laughs> it took a while. <laughs> finally made it. Where does Edmund White stand in the pantheon of uh, great American writers? He's there. He was awarded um, an honorary National Book Award, which is like a lifetime achievement award. And that comes a year after uh, he received uh, the Penn Award, another honorary lifetime achievement award, not the Penn Faulkner, but the Penn um, Bellow Award. So those two together establish him in the canon. So he's probably not just uh, the the most respected gay writer now. I think he's considered a major American writer as well. What makes his writing so special, aside from the fact that he was writing about homosexuality when a lot of people were uh, afraid to go there? He's a really good writer. Um and he's experimental. He he doesn't repeat himself, really. He tries different things, and he has essentially two different uh, modes, one very experimental and the other more accessible, and he fluctuates between those two. But he's just a terrific storyteller. Um, he takes you to places where you haven't been. Uh, 
um, he can be very funny. He can be very um, uh, bitchy. He can be, <laughs> he, he's just a terrific writer. The quote from him that seems to stand out the most is, I am not an assimilationist. I believe gays have a special destiny. They contribute to society by living outside it. What does he mean? Well, I've thought about that, um, you know, and it, I think it relates to the integrationist diversity divide. Uh, in the 60s, the goal was to integrate, which often meant to, you know, to do away with the differences, to become one thing. And the 70s, we shifted to the celebration of diversity, to people being different. And I would align Edmund White in that category. He definitely sees gays and lesbians as different because of a number of things, the way they have sex for one. But beyond that, he sees a difference and he thinks that's their contribution. And to try to mask that or closet that, um, he, he doesn't see as productive. Is he saying that gays have this special destiny because they have been on the outside looking in, in the way that they've been treated by society, <laughs> or because of the very nature of their sexual orientation? Probably both. That, of course, takes us to a kind of essentialist argument <laughs> that, some, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but... I mean, we are different. We're all we're all different. And if that's essentialism, I think he would say yes to that. But it also has to do with the 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 other thing, the 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 environmental thing, the fact that they're shaped differently because they have been excluded and have a perspective that differs because of that very exclusion from the the dominant discourses. This this is similar to African Americans rejecting the notion that they have to act white, exactly. quote unquote, exactly. to get ahead exactly. in society. They have to erase their differences. They... He was apathetic to gay marriage until he got married. Yes. <laughs> but I, he has told me personally that that was for the benefits. <laughs> the, uh, the, you can't escape the realities. You have to support yourself. But he loves his partner. Oh, yes, definitely. They, but it I, wasn't just for the they benefits. Were, they do love each right, other. But they were together for many years before they chose the root right. of marriage. And I think many heterosexual couples have done the very same thing, mm -hmm. felt fine outside marriage until they saw that they needed those particular um, insurance uh, benefits. And Many elderly couples have done the same thing just to get the Social Security, if truth <laughs> be told. True. You're very right. Does he see marriage as a heterosexual institution as opposed to an institution that should be available to all adults? Oh, I haven't heard him address that very point, um, so I, I really can't speak to that, but um, it would seem the history of marriage is ultimately a heterosexual enterprise. It has been opened up, uh, rightly so, but uh, I, I can't speak for him on that okay. very point. So marriage is whatever one defines it to be or whatever the couple defines it to be. Figuratively speaking, yes. I don't know that the state would go that far. I think the, I think the state sees it as something more legally yeah, yeah, <laughs> defined. Well, the, the, the state makes very specific <laughs> words that they put in print on that. Right. We'll be back. This is MTSU on the record. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. 
Terra wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. Will Brantley is our guest. He's a professor of English and uh, co-editor of Conversations with Edmund White. Edmund White was at Stonewall, and he took part in it. But he couldn't really be classified as a gay activist. Not at that point, no. Uh, But he said he realized at the time that something really significant had taken place, and it, of course— edged him into activism, and we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. So he it's not as though he was there to enjoy himself, and then the, the uh, uh, violence broke out, and he said, hey, let's just join the party. And- no, he stumbled across it accidentally, but he ended up writing a letter to a friend, the poet Alfred Korn, that has become... Um, one of the key live witness uh, documents. It's been anthologized many times. You can see it online. Um, a terrific letter where he describes in about four pages the what happened over those nights. He must have an excellent memory because he, wa- he didn't go there to be a journalist or a documentarian, and yet he, as a writer, would certainly feel a compulsion to put everything down as accurately right, as possible. Right. But the, thing, the great thing about reading the letter is that he wasn't writing it. <laughs> Well, I guess any writer assumes that a letter might (laughs) resurface uh, in a collection at some point, but he wasn't writing it as a journalist. He was writing it to a friend, and it's a very saucy, you know, Mm -hmm. um, letter. (laughs) Uh, Would it be fair to say that he just sees his sexual orientation as part of his life, but not the be-all, end-all of his life, in the sense that being straight is not the be-all, end-all of a heterosexual's life. Right. I, I, I would say probably so. Um, and I think he would agree with someone like Lillian Hellman. She was uh, she was resentful when she was called um, a woman playwright. She said you would never call uh, Arthur Miller a male playwright. <laughs> and so... I think Edmund White would like to move beyond the point where he's just a gay uh, yeah. writer uh, and be a writer or a man, or yeah. you know. But he doesn't disown the gay, <laughs> right? The gay uh, tag. He just doesn't want to be limited to any one particular tag. And no one, no one does. No. I mean, <laughs> you know, they called George Cukor a woman's director, which I figured was kind of code for you know, his sexual orientation without actually saying it, in addition to the fact true. that women love to work for him. True, true. And he was, you know, he, he worked in Hollywood during a time where he could not be out. He could not be, you know. No way. Um, he, uh, White, lived in France for a while, and he makes this interesting observation about literature. 
like in American bookstores, books are categorized as gay fiction, African-American fiction. You go into any Barnes and Noble or any other place else, you've got everything categorized by uh, genre, if you will. Uh, but there's no such category categorization in French bookstores. What do you make of that? Um, I think it's one of the reasons he loved France. He found it to be a much more open, you know, uh, tolerant uh, society. Uh, and that's why he lived there for 15-something years. And one of his recent memoirs, Inside a Pearl, uh, is a response to his life there. Why are the French different? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't uh-huh. know. They are. <laughs> I've only been a few times. but Specifically with regard to literary matters. Um, I don't know, but uh, I remember going into French bookstores and being very intrigued by the lack of commercialism. It would just be a cover with the title and the author's name, and that that would be enough. You know, this was in this uh, that when I first noticed that it was around two thousand, I guess, when I was there for a trip, uh, and that may have changed, but. Um, a different sense of what we want from books, perhaps. <laughs> you So when you go into a French bookstore, you don't see a great big pile of unbought books with 50% off on top of them or anything I like didn't, that. and I don't know if you would see that now. I wanted to see, for example, Carson McCullers, a writer I've written about. Uh, I know she's very popular, has always been popular in France, and I wanted to see what you know her books would look like. And I was surprised at the, the difference in terms of how they're presented there, um, the, the French uh, covers, uh, the Mm-hmm. Um, it was. It was. Um, it spoke to a difference, and that may be a difference that Edmund White um, respected. Can you tell us a little something about uh, his upbringing and uh, and that kind of influence upon the writer he became? Well, um, he grew up in. Um, he was born in uh, Cincinnati. Uh, grew up uh, in Texas and the Midwest and with um, parents that were, um, I guess the parental relationship, I would say, was complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, he ultimately went to a, a preppy boarding school in Michigan. Um, how is the question, how would his upbringing have... Um, have you, um helped influence his writing is it was the fact that he felt stultified uh, part of his inspiration for his fiction well he worked himself into a boy's own story which is probably his signature work the one that people know most he is in many ways that boy uh, uh, in the 50s who was very um, precocious who was very um, very experimental for his age. <laughs> he embraced, well, I wouldn't say embraced, but he certainly experimented uh, early on. Uh, had many, many sexual encounters. He talks about that and how it distinguishes him from other Midwestern boys of his age in that time. So um, I, I can't really speak to the parental relationship since I don't know enough about it. He hasn't. Uh, uh, written about it, really, in terms of a memoir, he may do that. He has said that he hasn't really addressed his mother, and that may come in a in a future memoir. Uh-huh. Uh, 
in A Boy's Own Story, is the boy at the center of the story, does does he know that he is gay or is he just uh, exploring and trying to find himself? He's exploring within the, the, the debilitating language of the time. And he's not altogether a positive character because in the end he betrays his, his, his gay mentor. And Edmund White was always a little surprised that people embraced the novel because he found the boy to be <laughs> a complicated uh, character. But it yeah. was one of the first, uh, well, maybe the first coming out novel of its particular kind. It spoke to a need at that point in the early 80s. Um. <laughs> he said in one of his interviews that gays actually criticize his work for not being explicit enough about the sex act. <laughs> but his literature is not about prurient interest, no, right? No. It's it's about the totality of the gay experience. Of course, of course. Yeah. I, I do remember. Uh, I've come across that passage in several interviews. In fact, one of his... Um, we had to convince him to let us do the collection of interviews because he felt when you do so many interviews, you say the same things again and again. And I read, oh my God, what, 125 interviews. We selected about 20 for for this book. And sometimes I can't remember which uh, statement occurred in, in which interview. But yes, several times he's responded to the fact that uh, his readers are disappointed that his uh, work isn't more sexually explicit. But, but that's not his goal. Uh, but yeah, he takes us there, though. Okay. I mean, it, he must be concerned in his head. At, at what point does this become gay porn? And at, at, at what point, you know, am I just doing this to titillate the reader or am I trying to make a point here? Right. I'm sure he balances that as he goes into what he calls his marinade as he as the work forms in his in his head. Uh, what emboldened him to write as frankly as he did without fear of uh, either being dismissed or economic disaster or being uh, trash. He says it was his pursuit of the truth. That that is the truth. That we have sex lives, <laughs> and we we need to confront them openly. Uh, we need to confront them in their horror and their delight. And so it was his pursuit of the truth to be as explicit. And his first memoir is terribly explicit. It bugged a number of readers who said, I can't go there. I, I can't. <laughs> I like the, the novels, but I can't go there with this particular work. Um, was the memoir more sexually explicit than the fiction? Yes, because, I mean, he recounts uh, his, his um, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, his, um, his personal relationship. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Time for another break. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. 
The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of childcare in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, childcare providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Dr. Will Brantley, co-editor of Conversations with Edmund White, uh, with uh, Nancy McGuire Roach. Uh, how- Nancy was my student, incidentally. Really? She was um, a doctoral student, and she uh, had studied with Edmund White at Brown University, and they became friends. And mm-hmm. so, in some ways, that's how the book materialized. Nancy knew that I had done uh, the conversations with Pauline Kale mm-hmm. and thought that perhaps we could do one with Edmund White together. So, how did the two of you decide what to leave in and what to leave out? <laughs> that was, well, we read everything, we made notes, then we decided what we liked, you know. And, of course, with a volume like this, you want it to tell a story. You want it to go from the beginning, you know, when Edmund White um, became established as a as a voice. Mm-hmm. So, we started with the publisher's weekly interview because that was a, a breakthrough. And he said it was very important to him because mm-hmm. it put him in a different space. Okay. And we wanted to include uh, publications in major uh, uh, places like the Paris Review and then uh, little online publications for much more uh, limited audiences. So the point was to chronicle his career over time um, with an array of different uh, venues that he spoke to. Do you think that the the conversations uh, would reveal more about him in this type of a book than, say, a standard biography would? I think in some ways, yes, because the biography is one voice. And here is is, uh, Edmund White speaking in various voices that he's employed over his career to at different times. I mean, in some, he's uh, he's very self-reflective in others. He's very um, not, he's never aggressive, but he's much more um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Assertive. Um, assertive, yes. <laughs> then, um, yes. Okay. Um, he also said in one of the interviews he thinks there will never be an openly gay president. Uh, what do you think he'd think of Mayor Pete? Well, I, I think he would. Well, I think he would probably like him. He might. He might be a little. Uh, uh, hesitant with regard to Mayor Pete's religious uh, uh, dimension because White is <laughs> uh, not. <laughs> is he an atheist? <laughs> yes. Okay. Or I don't know if he would even go that far. He would just say he's a non-believer. Um, you know, but. Um, um, but he must, I would think, I haven't talked to him about Mayor Pete, uh, I think he would be glad that someone has made it to this point and who is as open as Mayor Pete is. Uh, uh, he doesn't try to hide his husband in the shadows. Not at all. Jason, he's there with them. He's, uh, they embrace in front of the public. It's great that he's. we've reached this point. Uh, yeah. The book ends with an interview that Nancy Roche and I did with him. And, of course, that was before Mayor Pete came on the scene. But yeah. if if he had been around then, we would have brought that up. <laughs> so why does he think there will never be an openly gay president? Um, well, we live in such a um, hesitant, repressive society, I, I guess. We, we haven't yet elected a woman uh, 
Well, maybe we did, but she, <laughs> I mean, in terms of the reality, Hillary Clinton received three million more votes. But uh, I, I've wondered I, if we would elect a gay president before electing a woman. I don't, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> he has suffered two strokes. He's yes. 79. And a heart attack. And a heart attack, too. Uh, Do you have any insight into how he's faring today health-wise? Uh, he's stable. You know, he's retired. He's stable. He continues to write. He's uh, working on a novel now that takes Texas as its center. And it's not an explicitly gay novel. Uh, um, uh, he was very pleased. He was in the press this week with the National Book Award, and he will be presented that, I think, in November. And John Waters has been selected to present him well, <laughs> the award. That's that's as good a choice as you can get. <laughs> I, I've never thought of them together, but <laughs> thought, there you have it. <laughs> and... Uh, Texas is uh, reportedly changing a great deal culturally and politically. Yes. So uh, it, I'd, I'd be interesting to see in what time period he places this novel. And that I don't know. But you're right. It is changing. Okay. It could become a blue state. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, Houston elected a gay mayor twice uh, right. at the same time Obama was elected. And I sometimes think that was really as interesting as, as the election yes. of Obama, that Houston right. elected an out lesbian mayor, not once but twice. Mm -hmm. Why should Edmund White be studied in literature courses? Um, because his writing yields. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very rich. Um, and it's it's just quite a spread of writing. It's not only the novels; it's also the biographies, the memoirs, the short, the short fiction, the nonfiction. It's just he's he's a real man of letters in the in the classic sense. Uh, and because he takes us to a space where you know, other others haven't. Not that there haven't been other terrific gay writers, but I think he's emerged as the one with that very rich, uh, uh, diverse body of writing. Do you think that he is appreciated and or will be appreciated as a great writer, not just a great gay writer? I think so, yes. I think we, we're moving in that direction. I think this, this recent spate of awards <laughs> pushes him there. Uh, and he has to be pleased with that because you plug away in loneliness as a writer. <laughs> so much of it is uh, not being with people. And then suddenly the book comes out and you're, you know, interviews and you're before the press. But what led to that was this period of aloneness. And he's a very social creature. He says that's the tension in his work, that he loves to be with people, but he has to be alone when he writes. Conversations with Edmund White is co-edited by Nancy McGuire Roche and Dr. Will Brantley, our guest. Thank you, Will. Oh, thank you, Jenna. We'll be right back. Expanding New Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference at MTSU for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For more information, visit mtsunews.com. 
The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Randy Weiler has the middle moment. MTSU plays a vital role in the third Tennessee STEAM Festival in October. Activities include creating commemorative aluminum medallions and a decorative concrete sculpture class. Dale McCready with the Discovery Center at Murphy Spring shares more. The Tennessee STEAM Festival, and STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, and Math, is a 10-day statewide celebration that's designed to build excitement and interest in STEAM and an awareness of how science, technology, engineering, art, and math are all around us. MTSU is a key partner in this effort. They will be hosting activities throughout the region, including an event here at MTSU that's a family event uh, on the on, on a Friday evening evening in during the festival and we'll also be holding events such as star parties and virtual reality experiences to participate or even offer programs visit tennesseesteam.org t n s t e a m.org that's mtsu on the record i'm jenna logue thanks for listening mtsu on the record a news and information program about middle tennessee state university is produced by the university's marketing and communications office which is solely responsible for its content read more about mtsu at our website mtsunews.com podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on itunes